0: Hey there listeners, this is Katie Zakresky, one of your co-hosts with Green Tea Party Radio. So we really enjoyed our conversation with David Jenkins uh, so much that we talked for a very long time. And this episode is so long that we've decided to do it in two parts. So we hope that you enjoy this conversation with David as much as we did. Like I said, this episode will come out in two parts, and here is the first part of that conversation with David Jenkins.
1: Hello and welcome to the Green Tea Party,
0: where we discuss conservative solutions to environmental problems.
1: My name is Zach Torpy.
0: And I'm Katie Sekreski. Together we'll guide you through complex issues and provide strategies to address them, all while remaining faithful to our conservative values.
1: Trust me, it'll be a good time.
0: Yeah, it's a party. So grab your mugs and we'll pour the tea.
2: Well,
1: today we have the President of the Conservatives for Responsible Stewardship with us, David Jenkins. Thanks
3: for having me. Dave. why don't you give us a quick introduction of yourself? I'm a lifelong conservative, originally from western North Carolina. I got my start in politics campaigning for Ronald Reagan and Jesse Helms. And after college, I worked on Capitol Hill for Senator Pete Domenici, who was a Republican senator from New Mexico. I have lots of great memories from back then, from Playing fetch with Millie on the vice president's mansion lawn to helping Barry Goldwater find a hammer and hang a picture in his office. So, wow. Wow. Some good times. Although I'm dating myself, probably. Uh, <laughs> that's a pretty legendary resume already. Yeah. yeah, that's super impressive. In my spare time, I love hiking, kayaking, canoeing, anything to get out in the great American wilderness although I haven't been able to do it as much as I would like to. My daughter just went off to college, and before that, I was attending a lot of lacrosse tournaments to help her get recruited. So luckily, that worked out, and now I should have a lot more free time to, to get back to the great outdoors.
0: Wow. So David, have you always been out in the great outdoors, always, you know, been a real big environmentalist? Tell me a little bit about that.
3: Oh, yeah. When I grew up, I mean, I grew up hunting and fishing and things like that. First, I went to Brevard College in Western North Carolina. And then I went to Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina. And both of those are right at the edge of the Appalachians, well, Brevard's in the Appalachians. A big part of weekends when you go to college in a place like that is hiking and backpacking and camping and stuff like that. So, so yeah, it's been part of my life pretty much as long as I can remember.
0: That is awesome. So it sounds like you've been a lifelong conservative, a lifelong environmentalist. Whenever you were doing outdoors things, Were a lot of people with similar conservative ideologies doing a lot of these outdoor things with you, like hunting and fishing and hiking and doing all of this? Did you notice a similarity between you and other environmentalists politically growing up?
3: Oh, yeah, growing up, certainly. And I would say it was pretty consistent. I mean, you know, of course, hunting and fishing, you're going to run into a lot of folks that are conservatives, but even hiking and backpacking and kayaking, tons of conservatives that cared passionately about the environment. And we're talking about in the 1980s and 90s, and it was pretty consistent. Only more recently have people on the political right tended to put those issues more on the back burner. I attribute a lot of that to a lot of disinformation from special interest. They want to make money and they want to exploit things. They feed talking points to uh, folks in the party or talk radio host or whatever. And then they spit it back out and people not hearing anything else tend to tend to believe it.
0: Wow. So you, you've been able to see that shift then over time.
3: Yeah. I think the, the shift really came in the early nineties when Gingrich was speaker of the house, he put some people in charge of committees from the West that were very anti anything environment. They, <laughs> they were anti endangered species act, even though it was Nixon Nixon administration that, that signed the Endangered Species Act into the law. They were anti-EPA, even though Nixon was the one who created right. the EPA. In fact, all of our landmark environmental laws, Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, Endangered Species Act, all those were Republican ideas and passed by huge Republican majorities in both the House and the Senate. And people lose track of that. It really feels like our uh, conservative
1: conservation bona fides have sort of disappeared and like it's as the political climate's been shifting around us the environmental movement seems to have diverged from the conservative uh, the conservative movement but i feel like the stewardship and like protection of like the natural environment and going out and enjoying it hiking and hunting and fishing is still a strong connection that we can make and it's a good way to open up to uh, both sides of the aisle and draw us in
3: You know, it's actually acting against your self-interest if you're not, if you don't care about those issues and people, people need to realize that more and more, but it's become so people call it tribal or whatever. One good example of that was, uh, you know, the left had been pushing for many years, a renewable energy standard, a nationwide renewable energy standard. And the Republicans on the Hill came up with an alternative. They wanted a clean energy standard. They gave credit for how much better natural gas was than coal and gave nuclear credit, which is a great idea. And then when President Obama decided to embrace the clean energy standard, which was a Republican idea, they all ran away from it. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be caught agreeing with someone. <laughs> so instead of welcoming welcoming somebody to buy into their idea, they ran away from it. And I'm like, okay, that retreat pattern it's just going to back you into a corner. I mean, every time you propose a good conservative ideal to counter a, a liberal ideal, and then if a liberal embraces it, you run away from it, then they just stole your good idea, and you have nothing to offer. It's that kind of thing that we've been fighting against for quite a while now. Wow.
0: <laughs> so so. Go, go ahead. Go ahead, Zach.
1: So as so I say, David, so what are... So. For your organization, the conservatives for responsible stewardship. What are the goals and like ideas of your organization that you're trying yeah, to tell, get out yeah. there?
0: tell us a little bit more about that because you provided an excellent backdrop for where that organization comes in. And Zach, you had kind of hinted to that, to that as well. David, tell us more.
3: Yeah, well, we're traditionally conservative, not so much libertarian. You know, we're talking about you know Edmund Burke and Russell Kirk and Richard Weaver, those sort of icons of conservative thought. You go back, Teddy Roosevelt. Of course, Ronald Reagan's a big hero of ours. But primarily, our goal is to get conservatives more engaged in safeguarding our nation's natural heritage and being good stewards of what President Reagan referred to as this magical planet that God gave us. So we work to achieve that through various education and advocacy efforts. When you you get one-on-one with someone and you talk about these ideas and these values that have been core conservative values, it's an easy sell. The problem is our amplification cannot match the amplification of all the special interests that just flood the information zone with with counter, counter-programming, counter so, so to speak.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, David. It's, it's uh, interesting seeing how the media dynamics have sort of just fight off against each other, and then we get like a, a feedback loop system of one side fighting each other and just a, no acceptance of each other, no embracing of each other's ideas. And like you said, they as soon as they agree on something, they're like, nope, we can't agree. We're going to have to go apart, fight again, find something else to fight, again, fight, on, fight on, instead of agreeing and moving forward. It's a very self-defeating uh, approach to things, if you ask me. So how has your organization adapted with the shifting political climates
3: through the years? Well, we really haven't had to. <clears throat> Our messaging, because it's rooted in genuine conservative philosophy and values, tends to strike a chord with a wide range of folks who consider themselves conservative. We're essentially reminding them of what conservatism really is. And even these people who went far astray from those tenets of conservatism, they remember back when they were young growing up, and they were taught, you know, be responsible. You know, if you're on the farm, you know, you take care of the land. You, you do all these things that... Uh, Being good stewards, if you go back to biblical teaching, good stewardship is a key, you know, edict there for for us to follow. And so we're essentially bringing those issues back and helping them realize who they are as conservatives. One example, we, we give presentations to conservative clubs across the country, Republican women's groups, other groups. And, you know, some of these clubs are very, I mean... You know, if anybody was putting, you know, putting a meter on it, they're all, you know, they're about as far, so far right that they almost come around the other side. <laughs> um, but, but it's amazing how, you know, I can stand up and I give my presentation. I talk about, I can talk about climate change. I can talk about any environmental issue. And I haven't seen one tomato being thrown at me yet. <laughs> they accept it. They're all excited to hear about it. And you know, a lot of our message when we're talking about energy and things like that centers on following the market, and and also helping them realize that if we see issues like climate change and things like that to the left, then we're going to have to live with their solutions. We need conservative solutions to the problems, and when we take ourselves out of an issue, and and don't really care about it, and don't try to find legi- you know genuine solutions we're basically punting it to the other side and say hey have at it. So once they realize those things, really it they really uh, open up to the issues that we care about and what we're talking about how we need conservatives to be more engaged. Another quick example is that let's see last year here before I'm starting to lose track of time, but there was a really bad net metering bill in Florida. The Sunshine State, <laughs> you know. So there's a bill trying to Prevent people from putting on rooftop solar and, and the, you know, the sunshine state. We had a very made, similar made, bill here in Arkansas. Yeah. So I'm yeah. not surprised by that. Go ahead. So we went on talk radio and we talked about how, you know, it's basically squashing people's energy freedom, energy independence. It's the It was an effort by utilities to keep you under their thumb so that you can't do have any way of escaping their rate increases. And we beat that drum for a while, and that effort helped uh, contribute to Governor DeSantis vetoing that bill, even though it passed uh, overwhelmingly in the House of the State House and Senate. So, you know, these messages can get out there and resonate, but you've got to you got to do the do the work.
0: David, one thing I'm hearing from you, and that you know, very interestingly, is in alignment with some of the things that we've said in previous episodes, is that I think a lot of conservatives don't understand maybe the gravity of climate change because it hasn't been conveyed to them in conservative language. And by what I mean by that is a lot of the work that I've done here in Arkansas is just translating a lot of these climate and environmental bills into, you know, what are the benefits to you as a conservative, particularly, as you mentioned with solar here, you know, if you're an individual property owner and you want control over your individual property, you want to be able to utilize solar panels and things like that, that is your individual small government right. That's innovative. Do you think that a lot of the issue is that maybe for the longest, conservatives have not been hearing about climate and the environment from a conservative, fiscal, small government angle? Because it sounds like you're doing a, a really great job of delivering a lot of this content via conservative messaging. And when a lot of people start to hear it, conservatives in particular, in the language that they speak, I think they're starting to realize that this is not as like you know like liberal communist hippie as, as some lawmakers have said in the past. Do you think that that's the case? That maybe they haven't been hearing this in a language that resonates with them for some time.
3: I certainly think that's part of it. You know, one of the people I blame the most for the split on climate change is Al Gore. Most people would like well, if you talk to anybody on the left, they're like, "What?" But if you think about it, when he did an inconvenient truth, we had conservatives that were really caring about climate change. And you had Arnold Schwarzenegger, you had John McCain, you had, you know, John Warner. I mean, there was a lot of conservatives that were engaged in this issue. And yet what did Gore do? He went it alone. He made that movie all about himself and he was a polarizing figure. And so then when people heard about climate change, they didn't associate it with anything except Al Gore. If he had been magnanimous, and he had tried to make it a bipartisan thing from the very beginning, then I think we would be in a different place today. But but then the other aspect of it is, you know, you've heard the stories of how Exxon did all the the research and stuff and put out information about how climate change was a hoax and all these kinds of things. And that stuck with a lot of people. I mean, I'll go, I speak to to groups of people ask questions about things that have been disproven a long time ago, like, you know, solar cycles caused it, or, you know, it was just one thing after another. And the thing is, is if we're, you know, there was a time when everything about climate change was models scientific models. They project this is going to happen, that's going to happen. So low healthy skepticism made sense back then. But today we're seeing the effects every single day, everywhere in the country. And to then stick your head in the sand and say, oh, well, you know, all this stuff that they said was happening is actually happening worse. <laughs> and yet we're still going to ignore it. And the economic impacts. I mean, insurance rates going up. Prop damages of the the citrus industry in Florida has moved to Georgia pretty much because of a of a wasp invasive that can only live in you know when it doesn't get below freezing. When it used to get below freezing in Florida, they didn't have the problem. Now they do have the problem, and so these kind of shifts are happening. And I think Ronald Reagan put it best when he called, he called uh, talked about environmental issues and he said, the reason you want to do something about it is to prevent the destructive trespass of pollution. When I mean, we think about that, you talk about property rights and, and caring about your property. What if somebody else's pollution is destroying your crops or somebody else's pollution is making your insurance rates go up? Ruining your, yeah. ruining your drinking water. You got <laughs> yeah. So well, yeah. Now, when you think about you know, used to the when you talk about things like wetlands, all the developers are like, oh no, we you know we shouldn't protect wetlands. We want to develop them, right? Well, wetlands provide all these services for free. They they filter water. They hold water. They release it slowly. All these great things. If you pay that over and you have all that runoff to deal with and flooding people's property downstream. The only fix is a expensive fix that costs taxpayers millions and millions of dollars that has to be maintained, not only for from us, but for, for our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren in perpetuity, when we could have just left nature to do it for free. How is that being fiscally conservative?
1: I think that's a great point, David. I, we A lot of times we're doing calculations for businesses and like doing financial impacts We're not thinking about the benefits that all these, the environmental benefits that are being done for us, like the cost of replacing a a wetland with a water purification facility to clean our water, to make it drinkable or livable is astronomical when just leaving the in-place wetlands is cheap, offers numerous benefits, offers hunting benefits, water purification benefits, and flooding and flood prevention benefits. Yeah,
0: exactly. And I know that I was talking to uh, Congressman Bruce Westerman earlier this year, who's one of the uh, members of the house from Arkansas. And he was talking about not far from his house, there was like a mile, well, I guess it was technically an acre or two of trees that they cut down to put solar panels there. And he was like, why would you, <laughs> you know, instead of just doing it in an open field, like it's not it's not enough to have clean energy. You've got to be intelligent about it and you've got to be calculated about it. So I think you're exactly right. If we're not measuring, you know, what is best, what is what are we already getting for free in nature? Then we're completely
3: being ignorant of fiscal conservatism. So, yeah, it's um, uh, you know, people tend to not want to take the time to understand the environment around them, and uh, it's amazing. I mean, there's, you know, there's people that move to Utah, for example, so they can go hunt and fish on public lands because there's lots of wide open spaces, and yet somehow they always are fighting with the federal government and they want to privatize all that land. But you know what happens if they privatize it? They lose their hunting access. (laughs) (laughs) So It's called no trespassing signs. So we need to... And then you got the people, of course, that uh, they want to move to Arizona and have a green yard with a swimming pool. (laughs) Or they want to move to beside a wilderness in Colorado, but they get upset when a mountain lion roams across their yard. Or... Their house gets flooded in a flood zone and they swear they're going to build back again no matter what, in the same mm-hmm. spot. We're just not thinking.
1: <laughs> yeah. we got to live and adapt with the environment that we're in and understand how it changes and how it interacts with us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead, Zach.
1: I was going to ask if you wanted to shift courses and discuss I want to discuss uh, the conservatives, conservatives for Responsible Stewardship's view on um, energy subsidies because I felt like you had some pretty detailed notes on uh, your site.
3: Uh, yeah, well, this is <laughs> this is a a good good example of uh, how misinformation has spread out there. You know, we all have heard about Solyndra and the solar subsidies and stuff like that. What people don't realize is that those solar subsidies, they paled in comparison to fossil fuel subsidies. I mean, let's see, fossil fuels, I think we see, it's just one one study, recent study estimated that the U.S. government alone spends $20 billion a year in fossil fuel subsidies, 20 billion a year. And it's not just, and it's not easy to tease out subsidies always either. Sometimes they're not, they're not even counted. Like for example, when you talk about the coal industry, there were subsidies to the railroad industry to haul coal, but that's not a direct subsidy to the industry, but it, it's a way that it helps lower the cost for industry because it's a subsidy going to the railroads. There's all kinds of hidden stuff like that. And people say, oh, well, solar shouldn't have subsidies. And most solar is getting along fine without subsidies right now. But when people were harping on that, because solar is now a mature industry, what about fossil fuels? <laughs> I mean, that's about as mature as you can get. And and talking about profitability. These companies are record-breaking profits all over the place and yet we can't do anything about their subsidies as taxpayers or we're, we're helping you know that profitability keep going up and a lot of times it doesn't stay in this country. there, there are multinational conglomerates that are in charge of this stuff and that's this our money is just going going overseas.
0: I think this is one of the perfect arguments for why conservatives need to be involved in climate change legislation, because conservatives are so fiscally savvy that if they're not coming to the table and voicing their concerns and their perspectives on policies like these, you're going to continue to see taxpayers get railroaded and you know not have a say in what what happens to the subsidies, where they go, things like that, because the people who historically have a strong financial background aren't at the table talking about these things.
3: Yeah. And uh, a good example of just how crazy it is with the, the power of the special interest. So when uh, oil companies drill for oil, they promise that when they're through pulling the oil out of the ground, they're going to plug and clean up the well site. We have somewhere estimated between 130,000 and 3 million wells that they abandoned and failed to clean up. And guess who's stuck with the bill?
0: As taxpayers.
3: (laughs) So Uh we've been trying for years to get bonding reform where they have to post enough of a bond to cover the actual cost in case they skip town. And it's like a shell game. So you'll see one company go bankrupt as soon as they extract all the profit. And then the same principal owner will pop up with a new company and start getting (laughs) leases uh, with the new company. It's a shell game and it's scamming taxpayers. It's scamming you and me. And if you're making $40,000 a year, why are you having your tax dollars go to help line the pockets of a millionaire because they won't live up to their promise?
0: And I think I think that's another. I'm so glad you mentioned this like legal aspect, this like this moral, this legal I think conundrum because conservatives for the longest have touted being you know we're the criminal justice folks. We punish the wrongdoers. And we reward people who do good, and then things like this are happening, and nobody knows about it. Yeah, <laughs> that just blows my mind.
3: Well, and and even worse, some of the like like Republican senators from North Dakota and stuff—they supported in the infrastructure package putting over four billion dollars in of our taxpayer dollars to help clean up these abandoned well sites, yet. The same people are opposed to bonding reform that ensures that the perpetrators pay for it themselves, Lord and that's that's the effect of special interest lobbying. It has nothing to do with conservative values. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, it really is. Follow the money back and see see where it's all coming from, and see who is connected to it. It's a, it's a little it's a little sad in our country how how much the open or legal bribery is going around and just through the lobbying and just letting oil companies and do whatever they want, just passing out money to our senators and our congressmen.
3: Well, and we're, we're often scared to call them out on it because the Republican party has always been, and the conservatives have always been pro-business. Well, yeah, pro-business, but just like people. I mean, if you learn anything from the Bible, you realize that people are fallible and businesses are run by people. So you can't automatically give them a pass. So David, maybe I'm
0: naive, but I'm an optimist. We've heard a lot of mis- unfortunate news about how the world works and and how the government works in the last few minutes. But I don't want to dwell on the negative. I want to I want to have some hope. I want to have some optimism for the future. Are there certain policies or pieces of legislation that you're a really big fan of? You know, knowing the things that you do, when you take a step back. Whether it's a carbon price or a carbon credit system or if there are pieces of legislation right now like the RISE Act or anything like that. Is anything on your radar right now is something that you can see being potentially helpful? We really hope you enjoyed this conversation with David Jenkins just as much as we did. But stay tuned because there's even more in next week's episode where you'll get to hear the second half of our conversation
3: with David.
1: David, do you have any uh, books you would recommend that we throw in our book recommendation?
3: My favorite book of all time is Russell Kirk's The Conservative Mind from Burke to Elliot. Russell Kirk. If you really want to understand what conservatism is, read that. It's not a hard read. It's thick, but it's not a hard read. And I think in this day, people slap a conservative label on all sorts of wacky stuff. And it's a perfect time to reconnect with understanding what conservatism really is. Fabulous.
0: Okay. We're going to make that our action step today. I'm going to pick out, I'm going to pick out three. I'm going to go ahead and highlight them. All right, everybody, we've got some action steps for you today. Obviously, being an active conservative environmentalist is more than listening, it is also doing. So I'll give you a few today. Since the holidays are coming up, you can Work on doing several of these. If you like one more than another, do that. If you're an overachiever, do them all. We have a book recommendation from David himself. He has recommended The Conservative Mind by Russell Kirk. Give a really great endorsement of it. You heard it here. It's really important to know where conservatives have been if we want to know how to move forward. So be sure to check that out when you're traveling and visiting family this holiday season. Read it on the plane. Read it in the car. Not while you're driving, hopefully, but if you're in the backseat, yeah, read it then. Or get an audible book. And we'll go from there. A few other action steps for you all. Be sure to write to your member of Congress. As a constituent concerned about climate change, let them know. David talked about just how important it is for your member of Congress to hear from you. And that's real easy. You can go to house.gov and enter your zip code to find your member of Congress in the House of Representatives. And you can go to senate.gov and click find your senators. You'll just enter your state and it will pull up those members of Congress in the Senate. Again, this usually just takes a couple minutes. I think I've sent so many emails to my members of Congress that we should be on a first-name basis by now. So do that if you get time this holiday season. Be sure to check out Braver Angels for tips on bridging the divide. We've talked about them in past episodes. The holidays are coming up, and that can be a real point of of contention for a lot of families across the political spectrum. Uh, Braver Angels does a real good job teaching you how to diffuse some of those tense situations and finding common ground with family members. You can find them at braverangels.org. Lastly, our social media is finally up and running. I am so sorry, everybody. I have the IQ of a hamster. It took me forever to get some of that set up. But you can find us now. Everywhere that you have a social media platform, you can find Green Tea Party Radio. Check us out on Twitter. Check us out on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. Um, You can find us on all those things. So share this episode on your social media. Feel free to tag us. Tell your opinion. Uh, we we love your feedback, and your feedback is crucial for us and for your own listening experience because it makes us better over time.
1: For you, our listener, email us with your thoughts. Our email is info at greenteapartyradio.com
0: fabulous thank you all so much for listening to green tea party radio and a very special thank you to all of our patrons we could not do this without you and thank you so much david for being on the show today we appreciate having you and a very unique perspective and an excellent way to get involved david thank you again yeah
1: yeah if you're interested in getting early access to episodes as well as green tea party radio merch check out green if you have feedback tell us what's on your mind and follow us on facebook instagram twitter and tiktok
0: And as we've said in previous episodes, this is our passion project. We don't have any organizational sponsors. No one's telling us what to say. Nobody's funneling us money under the table. And if they are, I haven't seen any of it. We're just a handful of young people with laptops and microphones, and we're working together to build this movement. We think it's really important that the world knows that conservatives have important things to say about climate change, especially young conservatives. So every time you listen, we're super thankful that you're joining this movement with us.
1: And if you want to hear our show, on your college radio station, email us at info at greenteapartyradio.com and give us the details about your campus and your radio station. The email again is info at greenteapartyradio.com. Thank,
0: thank you for listening. So much again for listening. Thank you. And we'll thank see you, you next David. week. Be sure to be on the lookout for when next week's episode of Green Tea Party Radio drops and you'll get to hear even more of David's pearls of wisdom. In the meantime, stay well and have a great day wherever you are. Thanks for listening.
2: Conservative and concerned about climate change? You're not alone. My name is Chelsea Henderson, and I host RepublicEN.org's eco Speaks, bringing you weekly guest interviews and stories. John Kasich, Christine Todd-Whitman, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, meteorologist Marshall Shepard. Each week we have a conversation with an ECO-RIGHT leader bringing you information, opinions, personal stories, and much, much more. Download, listen, subscribe, and join us each week on the ECO-RIGHT Speaks.
4: Hi, I'm Drew Eierle. I am the conservative outreach director for Citizens Climate Lobby. My path to being a conservative, uh, concerned about climate action, was definitely a long one. Growing up in this very rural area, you had to be into the outdoors or you were gonna be bored out of your mind. So I grew up doing a lot of hunting, fishing. I was the only the, the second person on my mom's side to graduate high school. I graduated June 6th, 05, at like 7.30 at night, and by eight o'clock the next morning, I was on my way to basic training on my 17th birthday. <laughs> had deployments to Iraq, Afghanistan, rotations through Cuba. It was during this time that I really became concerned with energy infrastructure, but I wasn't ready to take action yet. It took the birth of a 10-pound baby girl with cheeks so big she couldn't open her eyes to really get me to open mine. My life just went from the next 50 years to the next 75. What if she's the veteran that follows in my footsteps and she's in the VA suffering from exposure, You know, what if she's on a fossil fuel route and, you know, subject to an IED? How will I be able to look at her in the eye and say, I knew that this could be an issue that you would have to face and I chose to do nothing about it? It's why we fight wars, you know, we fight them now so our kids don't have to. I am fighting climate change now so my daughters don't have to. A lot of people, you know, they say conservatives don't care about climate change and, you know, not true at all. We just want sensible policies that don't destroy the economy in trying to find a solution. We have that here at Citizens Climate Lobby. There are a lot of leadership opportunities for conservatives, especially in red states and districts with Republican congressional offices. Conservatives can also join CCL's conservative caucus. It's a national group of Republicans and other right-of-center individuals where conservatives can get together and regularly meet online and have strictly conservative-based conversations. Sharing our personal story is how we make a difference.
2: Conservative and concerned about climate change, you're not alone. My name is Chelsea Henderson, and I host republicen.org's EcoRight Speaks, bringing you weekly guest interviews and stories. John Kasich, Christine Todd Whitman, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, meteorologist Marshall Shepard. Each week, we have a conversation with an EcoRight leader, bringing you information, opinions, personal stories, and much, much more. Download, listen, subscribe and join us each week on the Eco Right Speaks.